Welcome to Pablo Torre Finds Out. I am Pablo Torre, and today we're going to find out what this sound is. Oh, oh my God. God. That is Use underwater. That is, that is, that's, in a hot, that's a hot tub. I mean a hot tub fart. Right after this ad. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What are we doing here, y'all? That's what we're doing <laughs> right now. We're good. We're good now. We're good now. Oh, we're I'm good. Told, I'm, told okay. that this is, I, I'm told that this is a show now. Here he is. I, you, I, I feel like, would be devastated when you listen back to the audio and uh, realize you missed out I'm on a conversation so about uh, my baby pissing on my face, potentially. <laughs> so <laughs> that's bittersweet for you. I missed the baby piss face conversation. I showed up yeah, late did, to the yeah. baby piss face yeah. conversation. It's a thing that happens. It is. Uh, you wouldn't know. You, you have well, a girl. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, well, I've done it, probably, I should say. <laughs> you both have, and you just don't know. <laughs> Ask your moms. <laughs> I still do it. I still do it to my mom. oh god um i have a question for you guys do you guys remember any phone numbers have you memorized phone numbers that you still recall i have my husband's memorized out of uh which i i think it was an i was reading an article about it wasn't like kind of broke down palace but it was someone in a foreign country who's like imprisoned and couldn't reach their relatives and i read that and i and i thought i'm gonna spend the next 15 minutes memorizing my husband's phone number so i've got that one locked down yeah i have a few yes a few important ones but i also am somebody who comes from an age who i still leave voicemails i still that's right uh, you know make I hate a, you do that. <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> Just kidding. Can you imagine if Dan could leave FaceTime voicemails? Oh, you can't do that now, can? right? Or the- can you? Oh, thank you. I love that. Devil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm leaving them for yeah, both of you. Somehow the newest technology employed in the oldest possible way. Yeah. Mm. Shirtless FaceTimes I'm going to have for both of you. Shirtless FaceTime messages. Well, I have I have set up a phone number. And yes, this was all my way of sneaking in a promo. It is 51385-PABLO. It's a phone number. We're taking calls now, requests for me to find stuff out. And so if you're listening to this, 51385-PABLO, mm-hmm. leave a message like Dan Lebetard might and uh, shirtlessly, um, you know, help my show by making content for free. Can we leave requests for you to find things out? No. On the, like from, no? No, no I you're can't. not allowed. I can't. No. I, I know what you would do. You would, you would just, you would mock it. Yeah, I mean, I might ask you how to find out how to start a show on time. I don't know. That <laughs> might be something I would request. How to, how to create a working Zoom in 2023. <laughs> something you should look into. <laughs> hey, this is Pablo. Let me know what you'd all. like me to find out. Tell me a story. Leave me a message. We might use this on the show. Thanks. Pablo, I'd like to find out what the f*** we're paying you for. That's what I'd like to find out. How much we're paying you and why are we paying you that much and for what? We, 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 should, we, should, delete, we should delete that one.
Oh, man. I'm excited for the stories we're going to talk about today. There's one that I'm really excited about. So excited I was texting you last night, Pablo, my early thoughts. Um, yes. So that's, that's a tease. We'll get to that, I think, mm, after mine. Uh, mine's prob- the only sportsy one, sort of. Uh, so here's the premise. Uh, Deshaun Watson stinks right now. He is playing very bad football. Uh, Dan and I talked about it a little bit this morning on his show. Talked about it on my podcast, Meaning Kime Show, featuring Lenny. Check it out wherever you get your pods. Yes. He is not good. He looks like a shell of himself. He has, and this was something that started last year when he came back in week 12, I believe it was. Um, but, you know, people attributed it to rust, weather. Some of the games were like in really bad weather. They haven't integrated him into the offense. There were, there was a lot of excuses made. And, you know, some of them were legitimate. So he has an entire offseason to work with his team for the offense to be built around him, for him to ostensibly become the guy that he was, the guy that incentivized uh, Cleveland to sell their soul and give him the most guaranteed money in the history of the sport. And it is not working out through the first two weeks of the season. He does not look good in a way that is apparent to everybody. The thing I wanted to bring up, however, is not, we all agree that's not up for debate is something that has occurred to me watching him, something that I've had conversations about with other NFL writers and analysts, something that I pondered going into the season as I uh, mulled over the possibility of a Watson returning to form. This dude just bailed out our entire industry (laughs) by being bad. Because, Pablo, as I was thinking about this season and I thought, well, the Cleveland Browns have a really good football team. I think the defense is going to be good. They've got good skill players. Something that kind of occurred to me is like, God, how am I going to talk about this in my capacity as an NFL analyst if he's good? I truly have actually talked to other football people about this, how everybody kind of feels like, oh, like a little bit of relief. But boy, it's kind of a cop out in some ways because we never had to reckon with, and maybe we will, I just, you know, it's been two weeks. But we certainly haven't so far had to reckon with um, that cognitive dissonance and what it would have entailed. I love the meta aspect of this story because it's both very funny and also um, it also says a lot about us. And I say this because I watch the Browns now and here's a stat that just makes the point that Mina was saying. Through these two games, the Browns offense has given up more touchdowns than the Browns defense. Because Deshaun Watson has been throwing pick sixes, the turnovers, one touchdown given up by the Browns defense, two given up by the Browns offense. And I say that because it feels when I watch it, Dan, like it's this feels karmic almost, right? Like the most morally reprehensible transaction in sports history has been rewarded by a comeuppance that we rarely get with this magnitude. But then in terms of the karma of it, it does feel like we, as people who talk about this stuff, are getting an undeserved break. <laughs> like the whole thing about Deshaun Watson, and we talked, Mina and I have talked about Watson on all sorts of pods in the past, and we've always done it with the perspective of here is a test for everybody, not just for the Browns. We know the Browns failed. We know the NFL failed for, for the reasons of all those teams signing up in a line to sign Deshaun Watson. But for us, there was some like, There was some notion of here we get to show how enlightened we are, and instead we evade it. And I I think that is both um, something that's eating Deshaun Watson's brain. That's the other part of this, right? Like he's on Twitter blocking people. He is feeling the comeuppance in a way that is particular and familiar to anybody who's just been online too much, who's been popular and now isn't. But Dan, like this is something that you yourself have dealt with, right? What do you do with the guy who is back and is suddenly uh, a news story. Let's quantify, though, what Mina is saying when she says that he is bad, because according to NFL's next-gen stats, he ranks dead last in expected points added per dropback among all 35 quarterbacks with at least 200 passing attempts. So when you say bad, it's worse than Davis Mills, worse than Zach Wilson, worse than Carson Wentz. You have given $230 million guaranteed dollars to somebody who at 28 is playing like someone who does not have long-term prospects at the position. And in a sport that has gotten better at measuring so many things that are hard to measure, I put in front of you guys, how do you measure 
because you went from popular to unpopular, but it's more than that. From someone who has had a charmed, famed existence to someone who has had his sexual deviant slash crimes put in front of everybody in a way that would make any of us uncomfortable if these kinds of privacies were there for all the world to see and you were unmasked in a way that might affect performance that might harm you energetically on who you are as a human being carrying around a drape of the world is looking at me and laughing at me and everyone I meet, the word association is, this guy did at the very least things that are publicly, privately, shamefully reprehensible and at the worst, criminal stuff. I think it's undoubtedly affected him. But I also think that we have a lot of counterfactuals of guys who have not been affected by it or guys who have been involved in scandals involving sexual assault, rape, accusations, domestic violence, whatever, and have come back and balled out. And when they do that, the fans immediately rally behind them. So that's what kind of makes this sort of tricky because we can point to him and try to like armchair psychologize and say clearly the back knows that he's being memed and hated and that's affecting his performance and I'm sure it is honestly um it is something that uh I like when we try to put ourselves in you know not necessarily those shoes but the idea of being you know exposed in the way that Dan just described has to affect a human brain but there are just so many other examples of it not happening. And I think that's why I, this story is so interesting to me because I was just so prepared for that to happen. Like mentally, I right. was like, okay. Like if, if, like right now, because he's playing bad too, because he's playing poorly, if I, if there, if you were to put a clip of me saying something about the fact that he's been accused of all these, you know, he was accused of all these sexual crimes and, um, misdemeanors and whatnot. And if you put that out now, I would not get hate. I, that's what I want to, that's what I want to drill down on here. Like if you aggregated this and put it out, I would not get hate mails. If he was playing well, I would be inundated by hate mail right now because that's what happens when we bring up the, the, this sort of behavior with players who are playing well, Pablo. This is why sports is such a unique place, is that the, the definition of success in sports demands celebration literally. Yeah. Right? We're clapping. Like, the idea that you would not acknowledge that, that you would try to rain on someone's parade is itself evidence that you are a hater. You are a player hater in the most definitional sense. And in fact, part of, part of the, the whole con of this, of sports in this way, is that we shouldn't need... Someone to be, you know, um, good or bad to render a verdict when they are just there appearing. And the whole point is that they are there appearing and paid this much money with this context. Like, that's all we need, right? Journalistically speaking, that's all we need. But, but Dan, as you know, part of being a sports journalist is not merely doing the journalism. It's figuring out how to be a part of the party as well. Because right now, if Mina in this alternate world is pointing out at the party hey, you know, let's not clap too hard. It's the definition of being Debbie Downer. Mina, you saw already Cleveland was when this was starting. You saw what was happening at the tailgates. Cleveland was already rallying around with all of its history of losing and everything that's happened with the Browns. There was already stuff happening that suggested to you that Browns fans were ready to support this de decision in the name of regional identity, team identity, in the name of I support my team no matter what. I felt some of this this uh, this week in a way that was strange where we were just talking about something like this and I mentioned casually that Tyreek Hill um you know, yes. that I had declined to go on his podcast. We were going to do podcasts. I would do his. He would do mine. And then I told his people, I, I'm going to ask, just a fair warning. I know it risks the interview, but I'm going to ask uh, at least a question about some of the stuff that he has hitting, you know, men, women, and children. And then all of that evaporated, and I immediately got hit, Mina, because you can imagine the enthusiasm around the Dolphins right now, yeah. and specifically brought by that guy, 20 yep. years of losing. This is the Dolphins. This is a team with that was, with Marino and Shula, the winningest franchise anywhere in sports, okay, in the 80s. 
But for 20 years, they've been terrible. Cleveland's been terrible, always. And the crimes here are worse you know, the, the, in number than what it is in number, what we are talking about with Tyreek Hill. And what came after me was, well, why would you ask him any of those questions? Why is that necessary? Uh, this is what's wrong with journalism today. Because I'm honestly not sure, yeah. Mina. I'm honestly not sure as we speak about this. Who does the average American hate more, the misbehaving athlete or the media? Because it might be the media. And us asking questions and moralizing about this. And and a lot of people don't want it in their huddle. Like, don't want it. Like, they'll take the guy who scores touchdowns no matter what he's done because he makes them feel good. And the journalist asking those questions does not make any of it feel good. I think it's not. It, the I think where we're kind of getting at, and this is both of these stories illustrate that, is a lot of sports fans care. They do. But the quality of play triumphs all and informs how much everybody cares and the scope of the response. I mean, when Tyreek Hill was drafted by Kansas City, I wrote, I was writing back then, and I wrote a column for it, about it, and I wrote about, um, or pardon me, it wasn't even when he was drafted, it was actually early in his NFL career there. I, I wrote a column about it, I wrote about how he had pleaded guilty to domestic violence by strangulation, I wrote about some of the details of, um, why he was kicked off of the team, all of it. It's all it's all out there. You can find it on ESPN.com. It's it's pretty. It's I mean it, it's it's you read the police report. It's hard to read. It's 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 really awful stuff. And um, I can tell you right now because he was not uh, an established successful player. I thought you didn't get a lot of backlash. If I was to bring that up a couple years later after his success, completely different. Um, I don't know. Maybe what we're saying, maybe it's obvious that, you know, in sport, sports is a success or failure in the case of Watson seems to inform whether or not people give a shit about other stuff. But those two athletes are a pretty good uh, case study for um, the way in which sports fans react to e us even bringing it up. But we should also point out, too, that the test that we've been talking about here, the test that we don't have to take because of Deshaun Watson's failures is a hard test. It's hard. Because the question becomes like, so is it a footnote that we have to append to every mention when we're on around the horn? You know, like, do I have to sneak in after talking about Tyreek Hill 80-yard touchdown? You know, like, do, 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 I have yeah. to, do I have to just sneak that in there? Are we, are we sort of sticking a finger in the air and saying, okay, it feels like Twitter's been talking about this a lot, so I don't need to talk about it today? Like, are, in, a, in an era of fragmentation of media consumption, in which no one is watching the same thing, all of us also then feel this responsibility that is also fractured as to, like, so who am I communicating with and what context do they have? Here's how I came down on it in, in my capacity as an NFL analyst, and you guys can tell me if this is a cop-out, and I'm totally open to being told it's a cop-out. Um, I felt this way about Hill who I have talked about a lot as a football player, and I have not brought up any of this. I have purely talked about his play, the way he impacts spacing, the way he impacts the game, all of it. My feeling, and, and, I, and I was prepared to do this with Watson as well, and I, and I have been when I talk about him as a player so far. Um, I have, in, in conversations where I'm like, I'm going to get 45 seconds on TV and talk about the football, I have not brought it up. However, when you're in an environment where you're talking about the person, their career, who they are, you gotta fucking bring it up. And people still fall short in that regard when they talk about why Watson wasn't on the field. Broadcasts have gotten a little bit better about this. Or if you're talking about, again, a hill off the field, his life, his, like, whatever, that's when, you know, any omission is egregious to me. And Dan, if you were to, you know, like, I think you were correct. You're going to podcast with the guy? You're yes. Talked about him? 100%. Gonna, like, that's not you giving 45 seconds about him, you know, running a wheel route off of a short motion. You got to bring it I up. I and find we, some and we fail there. But some of the things here that are interesting to me, right, because uh, we've had some pretty seismic shifts in America over the last 20 years. So journalists are allowed to be befuddled here. Even though I know we're in the take industry, you got to have conviction and you got to know everything. It's okay to not have your footing here on exactly how I would discuss this because we're setting the template for how to discuss it going forward because once upon a time, we weren't talking about it at all many years ago. 
go, and America's change in sports is going to change too. But when you say that fans do care, I do believe that this transaction, when it comes to the playpen, sports, it can be as simple as this. Tyreek Hill scoring touchdowns makes me feel good. You asking me to read a police report makes me feel bad. I am a sports fan. I am here for the entertainment. Don't make me feel bad. The Cleveland Browns make me feel bad enough because they don't get into the end zone enough. And so this is not something I want from my journalists in sports. I understand the customer taking the position. It's not my position, but I understand why some arrive there. Some do. I just want to just... I, I recently did a survey for my podcast asking my listeners how they felt about and so many of them were like, hey, thank you for talking about Deshaun Watson. I just want to say, like, they, yes, it feels the loudest guys are the ones in the parking lot with horrible signs, you know, Browns fans, but that isn't the majority. I truly believe a lot of sports fans do feel conflicted about them. this. A lot of sports fans do want to hear about all of these things at once. It's just the tone and the scope of it does tend to fluctuate based on play. I think we are all agreeing here. Yeah, I, look, the idea of human interest stories, right? Like we hear this, I feel for like, for instance, someone who's been getting a lot of this criticism is Malika Andrews, our colleague at ESPN. She does the NBA draft, right? And so during the draft, she tells stories that are human interest stories that are often sad or they involve the complications of a legal history. And the question is like, when you're doing introductions of human beings, do you actually want to know? Or does it feel like you're raining again on the parade that you are, in fact, like, why are you bringing broccoli to the party? Like, we're not here for that. No, this is not, this is not time for vegetables. And even now, at the end of a segment like this, I'm wondering, truly, full disclosure, how can I melt some cheese over this broccoli? This has been a really serious topic, Dad. How are we going to get the fuck out of it to get to the funny stuff? <laughs> Yeah, we need to do that, and I think we failed. I think in every respect, we as media members have failed. Uh, you did, though, make me flinch when you said there was funny here, and then we found none of it. Because you did use the word funny Wait. on karma, and then we found none of the funny. I, I, I should mention that I, I meant to say this, too. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That was that was Good for the work. podcast audience. Good work. That was good that work. was that was a that Ivy was, League education. That was an yeah. Ivy League Ivy League fart. Yes, it wasn't even a good fart noise. It wasn't even a good one. You guys got better. <laughs> that was more raspberry. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. God. That is underwater. That's a hot tub. <laughs> I mean a hot tub fart. Yo. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, do not miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. The first round is over, and the action is really starting to heat up, even though Miami has already been eliminated and the Suns got swept. May have heard of that. And who doesn't have fun betting on one of the stars of the game to get a triple-double in this high-scoring modern NBA? If you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PABLO. That's code PABLO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in West Virginia, visit www.100gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Oh my God. How did my baby's foot end up right here? It's like on the other, <laughs> it's so big that it's, um, it's almost hitting my back. So your baby knows what you wanted to talk about today because we've arrived at the point where I have to talk about this. I guess it's in name, this New York Magazine cover story. And I want to give you the headline of this because Mina cannot stop texting me about it, as aforementioned. But the headline, the cover story is, Can Parents and Childless People Be Friends? <laughs> and I am laughing for the podcast audience, uh, smiling wide, because 
we arrive, the three of us, <laughs> in a sort of perfect arrangement of people yeah. to consider this because I have a three-year-old daughter, Violet. Mina has the kid who just kicked her, as aforementioned. And Dan is our childless friend who maybe won't be our friend if this story has well, legs. I'm in transition. I don't know when this is coming out, though. So <laughs> it could be, I could be at any of these three pockets by the time this episode comes out. So I should say, as a matter of setup here, that there is a line uh, referring to a study from a, from a Netherlands-based researcher that says that friendships of parents are the, they're most fragile when their children are around three. And so I come into this conversation um, embodying that. It has been both very difficult for me to feel like a present dad. I don't know how many of the, uh, the Dutch people this researcher surveyed uh, have been launching shows um, at a company founded by a man who demands to know why we're paying this person all of this money. But that's my situation. And I find myself to be struggling the most with just presence. Like, it's not the issue of, like, am I losing friends? It's the issue of, am I just paying enough attention to my child? A lot of the story, Mina, is about parents being consumed with their kids to the point where they lose friends. I'm somebody who's been so consumed with making sure the show is good that my friends at work and in life don't see me as the guy who has been consumed by his kid that now I'm wondering if I'm not enough consumed by my kid. The story is full of like horror show anecdotes from people who whose friendships have been ruptured when one friend has a kid. It feels like their lives aren't connecting anymore. And the author talked about her. She's a childless person, talked about feeling that way, like she's losing friends, like she's being judged. Everybody in this story uh, seems to feel that way. Like, oh, this has not gone well. Like I have lost friends. I have, and, and, and I feel... Um, like I'm doing this wrong. So I want to start by saying my read on the story was um, a lot of these people suck. <laughs> that was my first reaction. I don't, Dan, like, I don't know if you felt that way. I was like, God, these people are so self-conscious and they're, uh, or judgy or something because um, my experience, so I'm, thir a thir I recently turned 38. Pablo is about to turn 38, right? He's That's 24, right. That's right. A little bit younger than 27. me. Um, and so I, I think I'm in a good position to judge as someone who's friends. A lot of their friend, her, my friends have had young children over the last five years or so. And I don't feel like I've lost them. I've been able to sustain those friendships. Frankly, most of them, I feel like uh, in their friendships with me, and, and I would include Pablo in this category, um, we just, they don't talk about their kids that much. Like no. they, they, they bring up other stuff with me, career. It's a lot of working moms who frankly have seemed relieved to have a space to not talk about their, that's just my, um, how I have viewed the situation. I have not felt judged or left out or anything like that with the majority of my friendships. That said, uh, I do think this is important as I chewed it over a little bit more, uh, my friends and I, I think, come at this from a pretty privileged position. Uh, they are all people who can afford childcare. They are all people who can afford to bifurcate their lives yes. in a way that I think a lot of the people in the story maybe can't, I don't know, or just generally cannot. Some people have to involve their children much more in their lives by default in a way that I am. I think me and my cohort are lucky or you know have the... Uh, the advantages not to. And I'll also say one more thing. Um, I don't ask that much of my friends. Like if I see a friend three times in a calendar year, we are tight. <laughs> and I think <laughs> um, reading this, uh, a lot of people have more significant expectations out of adult friendship. Like they seem to hang out a lot. I'm yeah, not there's, hanging there's out expectations, that much. Dan, in this story, there are expectations <laughs> of like, sorry, um, I'm gonna have to bring my kid with me when we go to our all day brunch. And I'm like, what are you guys Who's having these? What is happening like, here? <laughs> so, anyways, that was my read on it. Is like I was like, this is these people are very different from me and my experiences, and I am not afraid of this. However, I wanna recognize that I bring privilege and a different sort of perspective to the situation. I would assume that in the hypothetical here, just not saying it's a baby, just saying your life is everything it is right now, but I am now going to bring into it the overwhelming responsibility of a screaming 
monster. And I am going to put that screaming shit monster at the centerpiece of your life in a way that reduces it to something very small because you're always feeling kind of overwhelmed and you've just invited something that is bigger and more overwhelming than anything you have ever known. I would assume that that would alter your life as you knew it in all ways and friendships would be one of them. My best friends, the commonalities I have generally tend to be work-related things, people that I connect with because we have similar interests. I would assume if you get new friends in adulthood that it would be going to games or schools or wherever it is that you're congregating with other people who are dealing with the same overwhelming, screaming monster situations that you're dealing with, and so that that would be a place that you would connect and perhaps you would outgrow friendships. I don't know how many friendships you guys have that are long-standing, that are 20- and 30-year friendships, but they all all change, I think. You lose a lot of them, and as you get later later in life, you your life shrinks some. The things that are important to you are the most important things, and there are fewer of them, or you have time for fewer of them. I mean, I want to be honest, too, right? There are two things about my life, my work-life balance. On the one hand, I like to say what I was about to say, which is that I'm doing this all for Violet. I'm doing this all because I'm providing for my kid. And that is not true some, at all. Not true at as all. As the father of as a daughter, the not true of a daughter I am hosting this show to fund her college tuition. That is literally true. But it's also something that, if I'm being honest and I want to be on this show, perhaps uniquely, I also fing love it. And so, something that I'm curious to see Mina go through, Dan, because Mina like me, like you, we all really care about work. Like, I think if our sample here is over-indexed on something, it is people who are obsessed with their jobs in a way that is legitimately fulfilling to them. That's why I just said all that I said, because I relate to how both of you guys have lived. It's part of why I think we get along. It's part of why our friendship now manifests in literal work for me. And I think what Mina is going to deal with as this kid kicks his way out of her body is the question of, like, how much am I going to have to carve out of my work schedule to feel like I am checking the box of good parenting, which can be anxiety-inducing, as I have felt it? I—Dan and I were talking about this before the show. Um, I know my life is going to change a lot, and my priorities will change, and I fully expect that and approach it with, I hope, a great deal of humility. But— on the topic of like whether it'll affect my friendships, I don't really plan on bringing it up around my childless <laughs> friends that much, I guess is what I want to get at. Like I, something that's changed over the last nine months is um, I, my kids, my friends who have kids, the aforementioned friends who have been so excited to just go out with me on their own, have sitters, talk about their careers, uh, friend couples with that, like my husband and I, um, our relationships with them are changing. My relationships with those people are changing. Like I now, I started to talk to them about, like, damn, how much does a nanny go for? Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, what, what is, uh, what is this yeah, like? This diaper what kind genie. Of, What's that about? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's changing, but I, like, so that's kind of introduced like a cool element into those friendships. But I really plan on not, like, again, having friendship. And again, this is something that I'm lucky enough to be able to do. Uh, my work friendships, my friendships with, you know, people who don't have children, like, it's really not something I plan on having take over my relationships with them. Um I, I, in a way that they haven't with me no, in and, the past, I, you know. And, and, so, and so I have, I have Dan, I have, I have been a siloer. I silo stuff. I have work. I have yeah. kid. I have wife. I, I am always trying to, I mean, maybe, Amina said this before and I really resonated with it. Um, I'm trying to find out what my friend is interested in. I'm not trying to impose on them the thing that I unilaterally want to discuss because that doesn't seem fun for me as a person who's wired in that way. All of which brings me to, I think, the elephant in the room here, which is Dan ever even contemplating <laughs> Whether this thing, this this oh this monster, is something that you ever wanted to, you know, bring into your precious world. 
I have given so little thought to it over the course of my life that I believe and have questioned myself as to whether there is something wrong with me uh, in terms of not thinking about this responsibility, the size of something that would create so much upheaval that it would take you to a larger place in growth and love, but also would be I think, a complete upending of anything that you've known. I'm ashamed, actually, to admit to the both of you how little time I spend or have spent the entirety of my life thinking uh, about this. And I don't know that I have a good reason for you. Like, it's not a fear. I like kids. I'm good with kids. I like renting kids. I don't like owning <laughs> kids. Uh, I, I like borrowing them for a little while and 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 turning them upside down and doing TikTok uh, by the ankles. But uh, the, the permanence of not being able to put that responsibility aside ever and furthermore, because I think this is what's going to happen to you, Mean, I would assume it happens to everybody, that you only have so much bandwidth that, of course, something like friendships or something, something. is going to get gone when mm, this overwhelming yeah. thing makes an appearance. I don't even know what your checklist is on priorities, but I would assume a lot of things would get gone because all of a sudden the thing that's most important is that child. It has to be. I, it, that this is another thing from the article. Like the the way they depicted childless lives is so different from mine. They're like talking about like going to like music festivals and like to the, these like weekly game <laughs> nights. I'm like, my life is like I work. My husband and I go out to dinner three nights a week, and then we watch Netflix. Like so, yeah, it'll change. I but just I'm I, not, ju I just heard the thing that's changing. You go out to dinner three <laughs> times a it's week. Gone. It's oh gone. Oh my god. Gone. Gone. Okay. Baby oh screaming restaurants. I've been in so flashback. many restaurants with screaming <laughs> babies. You're gonna be embarrassed by the okay, screaming that'll be baby. The thing that I give up. Um Yeah. Well, I guess this kinda enters into for me, the the decision to do it because I'm not great with kids. I don't love them. I don't look <laughs> at my friends' kids and think that I'd like to spend more time with them. I have never particularly enjoyed babies, uh, and I never fantasized about being a mom my entire life. But um, as I was kind of pondering uh, existence, um, one thing you know, I had a moment, Dan, where it wasn't like ah, this is going to disrupt my life or whatever. I just kind of woke up one day and thought, you know, I'd like my life to be different. And and we talked about this when we did the South Beast sessions. Um, the older I get, the more I realize that I do love my job, but I get significantly more fulfillment from my human, my relationships and particularly my close ones that have kind of expanded my heart. And uh, I see the way in which this new relationship seems to expand other people's hearts and, and their minds. And so that seems like an experience that I'd like to have. And I have this recent history of like my really close friendships, my marriage, my relationship with my dog, all being the things that clearly make me so much happier than everything else. So why not introduce another variable that will probably do the same thing? I just want Mina's future son, when he plays back this video, to appreciate <laughs> that when your mom is talking about you like an analytically minded GM... <laughs> <laughs> that means she loves you as much as she possibly can. High upside prospect. I got the cap space. You're just a great variable. Uh. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you guys about everything surrounding Russell Brand. I have found him fascinating for a long time, wildly charismatic, whip smart, uh, somebody who I have marveled at as a comedian and a fast thinker and somebody who's uh, so articulate that throughout his career, I've been fascinated by him. And now as a recovering sex addict, recovering drug addict. He stands accused very credibly, very thoroughly in a lot of reporting of criminal actions against women that a lot of men uh, are getting accused of these days and getting the support of the usual subjects of Tucker Carlson and Andrew Tate and Alex Jones and uh, just 
a strange phenomenon to see who supports this kind of reporting, this kind of criminality, and without getting into too many of the particulars about what he stands accused of, what I wanted to actually talk to you about was I remember after 9-11, the horror of the planes hitting the buildings. I remember my local news, my national news. It felt like the anchors were no longer impartial. They were scared and they wanted to attack someone. And I saw on my television objectivity evaporate. And I also saw what had been the newsmen of my time, the Dan Rathers, the Walter Cronkites, the Ted Koppels, whatever the respected newsmen were, polling showed that the most respected newsman in America was John Stewart, became John Stewart after 9-11. And as comedians have become our independent thinkers because government, everyone thinks government and media are corrupt. The following that Russell Brand has, not unlike Joe Rogan's, makes him a media entity unto himself. And part of his platform is he's just showing you all the time how corrupt the media is. It's part of why he's popular. It's part of why he has an enormous following. It's part of why people will follow him anywhere on conspiracies. And it's part of why those people will now support him as he stands up and says, see, it's a witch hunt. I'm now the victim. Women aren't victims of my crimes. I'm the victim. I told you they were going to come after me. I'm just fascinated by everything happening around this person, and I wanted to explore with you guys, we'll start with Pablo, I suppose, with you guys, the media element of this, the audience grabbing of this, and how it is that these people get so much clout that their following will follow them anywhere. Yeah, I wasn't sure when Dan brought up 9-11, Mina. I was like, where the f*** are we going? <laughs> but then he got there. I wanted to state very clearly that when Russell Brand is the subject of an investigative report that involves testimony, credible reporting about four women, including one who is just 16 years old, right? Accusing Russell Brand of rape, sexual assault, and abuse. It's not something that is merely interesting because holy shit, a lot of real reporting here. I encourage you guys, go to the Times, the London Times, go to check, go out and see what the reporting here is. The BBC was involved in this stuff. It's not just like a couple of tweets. And we should say that when it comes to Russell Brand's defense, what Dan is describing him as, this sort of sharp-tongued, British-accented, um, char charismatic leader, um, it's probably easier if we actually listen and watch what he said. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question is there another agenda at play? We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. In the meantime, I want you to stay close, stay awake, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free. There is what Dan is describing, Mina. I am transparent. I am free. I am a truth teller in an era when you cannot trust the mainstream liars who allege the truth. And this has been, I don't, again, I don't know how much of this was strategized. I'm going to pivot so that I can claim this yeah. if these accusations come out. That has been a theory, but it's clearly an effective strategy that he has, has followed because lots of other people have done it to great monetary success. Living in a space or cultivating um, sort of a, an ideology that's trust nothing when accusations like this come up, it's a very convenient place to be in. Conspiracies. Um, yeah, right. Like it's if you know if if you've already cultivated your fan base to question everything, naturally, when these sorts of very credible accusations, again, like his defense is that he had a consensual relationship with a sixteen-year-old when he was thirty-one. I just want to hit that again. Yes. Um, you've already kind of primed the pump, so to speak, right? Like that's kind of what is happening here. I think the first thing I would say is um, his primary stances as a truth teller are really easy ones to take. 
mainstream media and big pharma are bad. That is like literally the easiest thing you can do, right? Like in terms of like things that people are already, um, and pe all people, frankly, in society right now around the world have suspicions about, you know, like that's the elites you can put, the, 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 the things that Politicians people, are bad, Mean, I don't know if you've heard, but yeah, politicians, politicians can't be Politicians, big pharma, Really, billionaires and mainstream. Yeah, but don't media. don't don't underestimate it as a platform. Donald Trump took out the career I That's care about. Not be, be, yeah, no, because because there it, it, there's something to be said for gathering followers, just simply so, telling people again and again so, the media is bad. You're you're choosing the thing that people already want to believe or already uh, have feelings about, and then what we've seen is people who are unusually charismatic. Donald Trump probably falls into this category, good at good at um, being on television, or in the case of Brand, and this is what Dan you brought up at the beginning, just very hyper articulate. Um, you you combine so you take you take these things that people are already suspicious of that you know uh, just lots of people, but a certain type of person in particular is already inclined to be suspicious of. And then you take someone who's really good at talking and you combine those two things together and we shouldn't be surprised that they've developed these like massive, massive fan bases. It's, it's, take, it's an easy platform combined with a skillful order. All these people who, who traffic in this space on the internet, and there's a lot of them, or in podcasting, they're doing it because, I mean, this is the great, the hilarious thing about it. They're making a ton of money off of it. Like, no question. They, they've, they have recognized the most lucrative possible space. This is their, like, the equivalent of Big Pharma finding the drug and then, like, pricing it up. <laughs> And, and a very willing audience. So we shouldn't be surprised by any of it or surprised by the fact that, like, you know, it seems to be one of the most lucrative spaces in independent media or entertainment right now. It, it, it's, it's about the Internet, right? Like, so much of this is about the rise of the Internet and what has been called the democratization of media, which has resulted in authoritarian impulses, of course, as we've alluded to with Trump and all that. But to me, it's about, okay, now you have the ability to get what you want to hear from anywhere, and the media as an entity has such a losing hand. Because it, two things are true. On the one hand, yes, it is totally bad that elites have determined the flow of information when you say that in that way. What's less bad is when you have people who have devoted their lives to professional standards and ethical introspection and accountability who may fail a lot, right? But they're still trying to hold themselves to a rigorous standard and in fact can be shamed. They can be shamed. Shame being the guardrail on all of this, I always return to this because reading and listening to Russell Brand talk about his relationships reminds me of the immunity that so many of these people also have to conventional shame. And conventional shame, again, I get why. It's an outdated concept. It feels musty. But it's also a guardrail in a world without them. And so the media has to have, the media is like a goalkeeper that can't allow a single goal. Otherwise, they get to be criticized by the fan who's like, I could do that. But in this case, you actually get to get podcasts. I mean, it's, it occurs to me also that part of what Dan is nostalgic for, that I am too, despite being that much younger, is, I don't know, the era of a guy in a suit and tie who has a newsroom behind him telling you, mm. we've thought really deeply about these stories. We've investigated them. We've reported them. And he has a very sonorous voice. And he brings you this news. And now, for better and for worse, the guy giving you the news media can be dressed like Dan. And that's a little dangerous. <laughs> well, I think it's, 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 like, it's not that um, people like, you can draw the line from John Stewart to getting to Russell Brand or whatever, um, that all these people are trusted or credible or whatever. It's just what Pablo is saying, which is that everything now is kind of algorithmic, right? Like we're not being fed uh, something that's curated with standards, with you got to have this, you know, there's accountability. That's all gone. You're being fed what you want. And what a lot of people want is slop or 
they want to be made to feel like smarter or like they're seeing through things or whatever. I mean, every you just look at everything. That's this is the point I was trying to kind of make about like when I say when I was saying like he's attacking big pharma and mainstream media. It's like the easiest thing you can do. That's what people want. That's what the algor the algorithms all reward. What we want, they reward hate. They uh, reward conflict and dissent. And so I think what's, it, it, this is a, not a, um, a figurehead problem so much as it is a distribution one. The, dis, the, the pipes have changed and the pipes are giving a slop and that's how you end up in this place. There's always been bad faith actors and people and, and hucksters, but they've never had the kind of um, distribution that they have now. By the way, um, youtube.com slash Pablo Torre finds out. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out the same thing right now. I, I'm like, how do we get jumped on this algorithm to like get, get this, these views up? Dan, I'm watching, He's I'm doing watching. it for you, Violet. <laughs> Only for you. Pablo Torre funds out. <laughs> So at the very end of every episode of Share and Tell, we go around and we find out what we found out today. So, uh, Mina, what did you find out on today's episode? Um, hmm. I find out that Dan calls kids monsters, which is going to hit differently when he sends me a present and pretends like he's happy for me. <laughs> screaming <laughs> monsters. Sorry, not, screaming not, not, monsters. Not, 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 <laughs> screaming <laughs> monsters takes one and no one i found out that pablo torre lies to himself daily and believes that he is working and spending time away from his daughter and wife so hard because he's doing it for them that is his crucifix jesus had his crucifix pablo has his crucifix he is doing it for you violet and liz Yes. Um, I found out that I need to password protect YouTube so that Violet can never gain access to the ability to watch what we just recorded today. Pablo Torre finds out a show with a phone number, a phone number that is, again, 513-85-PABLO. That's 513-85-PABLO, a number that I now realize David Sampson is furious about because guess what, Sampson? Yeah, we have a f***ing phone number. That show is produced by Michael Antonucci, Ryan Cortez, Sam Daywig, Patrick Kim, Neely Lohman, Rachel Miller-Howard, Carl Scott, Ethan Schreier, Matt Sullivan, Chris Tuminello, as well as studio engineering by Viridian Tech, post-production by NDW Post, and our theme song by John Bravo. I'll talk to you next time.